Welcome to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Today, tensions continue to rise over the current hostage situation in the Middle East. A big rally this week in Times Square. And the evil, vicious, vile Hamas has done it now. I'll chat with the head of the Union County YWCA about programs available during Domestic Violence Awareness Month and beyond. The services that we provide are all free. WBGO's John Kalish has the uplifting story of Jill Ford of New Brunswick. I remember thinking to myself, whatever the computer is, I had better pay attention. This seems to be very important. And trumpeter and educator Terrell Stafford joins the Rutgers Jazz Ensemble to pay tribute to his legendary teacher, the late William Prof Fielder. He could pick up the horn, and the sound he would get from the horn would explain everything. All this coming up today on the WBGO Journal. Bring them home. Bring them home. Thank you so much for being here. Nearly 3,000 people converged on Times Square Thursday night, including U.S. Senator Chuck Schumer of New York, to demand the release of hostages kidnapped by Hamas during its October 7th terror attack in southern Israel. Mayor Adams delivered remarks in a pre-recorded address. The Bring Them Home Now rally came on the same day that the Israel Defense Forces increased the number of missing people to more than 200. Schumer, the first Jewish Senate Majority Leader and the highest-ranking Jewish elected official in the U.S., spoke to the crowd. We know what it is like to have people, always anti-Semites, vicious people, go after the Jews in every generation. They have risen to afflict us, as the Haggadah says. But in every generation, we fight back. The sea of people at Times Square carried posters of the missing Israelis. Many of them also held up Israeli and American flags and signs that read, New York stands with Israel. The rally was organized by the Israeli-American Council in conjunction with more than 30 community organizations. Joining us on the WBGO Journal is Karen Gear, the Executive Director of the YWCA in Union County. Great to have you on the show, Karen. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. And there's a number of issues that we want to talk about, but there's also a brand new facility in Elizabeth that uh, I know you're very excited about. We're very excited about our administration building that we've been building for four years that's going to be on uh, West Jersey Street, a big building with 33,000 square feet that's going to house some of our services and our administrators. Very excited. And one of the issues that we wanted to talk to you about, and the programs will be available through the YWCA, and that is it's Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Some really, really striking facts. One in three women have experienced some form of domestic violence by an intimate partner. 
Since this is indeed October Domestic Violence Awareness Month, it's a time to bring some knowledge and awareness to the topic. That's why we have Karen here. Now, you have programs at the YWCA that deal directly with domestic violence. Yes. Thank you for that statistic. But we're learning as we're in this field that domestic violence is intergenerational family trauma. And so while we're called the YWCA, we're now gender free, understanding that domestic violence affects every uh, type of gender. So uh, the services that we provide are all free. Uh, we provide counseling. We provide counseling for children that have been uh, victims of domestic violence. We provide legal services at the Family Justice Center, and we have a confidential emergency shelter in which we can place uh, victims that are uh, subject to violence uh, in a 60-day emergency shelter and help them find permanent housing. Karen, one of the questions has to be, why has there been such a dramatic increase? We know the pressures that have been building with COVID and with the economy, but is there a specific reason why we've seen the number of domestic violence cases increase lately? Well, I don't think there's been any research that I'm aware of to indicate you know, that people have been pulled. I can just go from my experience and what my uh, caseworkers are telling me uh, anecdotally, but I think that uh, certainly the Me Too movement has raised awareness for people to not tolerate abuse. And also, you know, people were at home in their residences during COVID, and many people put up with behavior that they wouldn't tolerate. And now that some of those restrictions have been lifted, we've seen almost a quadruple increase in our demand for services. You mentioned a number of the programs and what you're doing already, but the services are free and confidential. And I think that's probably so important, right, when it comes to people. This is such a sensitive topic. Yeah, thank you for mentioning that. Yes, everything is confidential. Uh, we can't disclose to anyone that you've talked to us unless you give us written permission. That's a state law. We have a hotline, 908-355-HELP. That's how you get started with us. You call the hotline, you speak to uh, a caseworker who helps determine what services we can provide. Are there warning signs of this in any way that something could happen in your home? Well, certainly, I think um, the research shows that if you grew up in a uh, situation where there was domestic violence, then your chances of picking a partner that has power and control tendencies, then you you may end up in that situation again. One of the things that I've learned being new to this field because uh, before that I primarily ran music organizations and the, the, the PhDs and the MSWs have been educating me is that domestic violence is not just physical abuse or emotional abuse. It can be financial abuse where you're being controlled by your partner where they're uh, not allowing you to do certain things. So one of the things that we offer is counseling for a person to determine 
whether or not they are being controlled by their partner, because that's really the first warning sign. They don't want you to be with your friends. They don't want you to be with your family. They don't want you to talk about certain things. And these are all indications that you're on the wheel. We call it the wheel of domestic violence where power and control is starting to assert itself from your partner. This may be a tough question to answer. And obviously with everything being confidential, but can you give us an example of someone who has come to the YWCA of Union County and said, thank you so much for for helping me. I just didn't know where to turn. Yes. So uh, we've had we have success stories where people come into our program with usually with children and uh, they don't even have credit or a job and they don't know how to support themselves. So. The first thing that we do is uh, we have a program, a workforce development program. We have people to help them with finances. We have uh, referrals for people to, if they need a divorce, to get resources. Uh, we only provide minimal legal services but um, or a temporary restraining order. But it should, it's it takes six or seven times generally for a person to leave their um, relationship, their abusive relationship, because generally by the time someone sees us, the power and control is so entrenched that they really don't have many resources to move forward with their lives. But yes, um, we do have people that have gone on and now our donors are now volunteer, are now in our crisis response team to help, to give back, to help other, other people recover from this trauma. Karen Gear, thanks for joining us on the WBGO Journal and continued success. Thank you. Thank you so much. You can find out much more about Karen Gear and the YWCA in Union County by going to WBGO.org. Time now for an uplifting story about an African-American child from New Brunswick, New Jersey, who grew up poor but thrived, thanks to her elementary school principal. The little girl went on to earn degrees at two Ivy League universities and made a career for herself in the tech industry. WBGO's John Kalish introduces us to Jill Ford and her former principal, Maurice Williams. Jill Ford grew up on public assistance raised by her grandmother. She attended the Paul Robeson Community School in New Brunswick, where Maurice Williams served as principal. Mrs. Williams was rather hands-on as principals go. She was known to show up at the homes of her students and communicate in person with their parents when the need arose. She also saw to it that the Paul Robeson Community School had a room devoted to a new device that was about to have a profound impact on American society, the personal computer. This was somewhere around 1980. Here's her former student, Jill Ford. One of the things that I remember very vividly when I was in first grade was being told that we were going to learn about the computer. I remember thinking to myself, whatever the computer is, I had better pay attention. This seems to be very important. 
we went to the computer room and there were people taking pictures of us, you know, interacting with the computer. It was something that just made a huge impression upon me. Jill liked the computer and she was always willing to be there on her own time. That's Maurice Williams, who is now 94 and still lives in New Brunswick. Williams remains in touch with Jill Ford, who settled in the Bay Area of California. Before Ford went off to college, she got involved in the RIME program. RIME stands for Raritan's Introduction of Minorities to Engineering. Through that program, I was able to get hands-on practice in testing out new technologies I was able to see people who were in the kinds of careers that I could aspire to be in. Just amazing for a young person growing up in New Brunswick. I remember some of the corporations that were involved with it were DuPont, Colgate, Johnson & Johnson, I think was involved as well. It just gave me an amazing set of people to interact with. Jill Ford took to technology, but she still had to cope with the cruelty kids inflict upon other kids. In her case, it was being teased about her eyeglasses, which had thick lenses and plastic frames. Her classmates called her Four Eyes. I liked her because she didn't let it bother her. She stood up for herself. Maurice Williams kept in touch with Jill Ford as her former student continued in high school. Jill Ford was academically gifted because she was always making A's in everything. She was that kind of student. The kind of student, it turned out, who was admitted to Harvard University. To go to Harvard from New Brunswick, that was the talk of the town. Before Jill Ford went off to Harvard, Maurice Williams bought her a stylish pair of metal-framed glasses in Burgundy. I wanted her to look like she belonged there. Jill Ford finished her computer science degree at Harvard and went on to earn an MBA at Wharton. She's had a career in technology and investing that would make any principal proud. I started off as a programmer, worked my way up to being a technical architect. I became a corporate executive. I ran a company in Ghana that funded entrepreneurs. I became an accredited angel investor and started making investments. I was made the head of innovation and entrepreneurship for the city of Detroit. Ford's resume includes stints at Motorola and Microsoft. Her investments have included one in Intuition Robotics, which makes a robot designed for elderly people who live alone. Last fall, Jill Ford brought the robot, which is known as LEQ, to Maurice Williams. Next week, we'll see how that's been going. LEQ. Would you play some jazz for me? Great choice. Here we go. For the WBGO Journal, I'm John Kalish. John Kalish's report is part of WBGO's Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion feature series, made possible in part by a grant from the Fund for New Jersey. 
The Rutgers University Jazz Ensemble, directed by Conrad Herwig, will honor the legacy of Professor William Fielder in their annual Prof Fielder Memorial Concert, featuring guest artist and alum Terrell Stafford, who joins us on the WBGO Journal. Great to see you, Terrell. Great to see you as well. Thank you. I know this is a special event for you, not only because you are the guest artist, but you have a special connection with Prof. And first of all, tell us why everybody called him Prof. Well, I think, you know, with some professors, you could call the professor by their first name and say, hey, you know, Professor, you know, Ridley or maybe such and such. But uh, Professor Fielder, for some reason, everyone just calls him prof. And that's what everyone in the world knows him by, more, more by prof than Professor Fielder. So I think it's just a short term for Professor Fielder. And your connection goes back to Wynton Marsalis's suggestion to you to work with him, right? Yeah, I met Wynton. Um, I had quit playing trumpet because uh, after I finished my undergraduate degree and uh, after I stopped playing trumpet, um, I became a computer programmer and I tutored in trigonometry. And some friends of mine got me to go out and hear uh, Wynton Marcellus. He was performing with the Eastman Wind Ensemble in Washington, D.C. at the Kennedy Center. And I went and I heard that group and uh, two things struck me. A, the principal trumpet of, of the Wind Ensemble, her name was Yvonne Tall. Just had a really beautiful, gorgeous sound, and then went and came out, and he just knocked it out of the park. So I, I went backstage. I actually wanted to meet both and and just let them both know how encouraged I was. Um, but the wind ensemble had left, and there was a huge line to meet Winton, and I waited in the line, and and that's how it all happened. You know, <clears throat> he asked me, he goes, "Hey," he shook shook my hand. He goes, "Hey, man, you play trumpet?" I said, "Kind of." He goes, "What does kind of mean?" I said, "Well, I used to, but you know." I don't anymore. And he goes, why not? I said, well, because I, I play off to the side. And he goes, man, you, sh you should go talk to prof. You know, it doesn't matter where you play. You know, I'll hook you up with him. You know, I'll, I'll treat you to a lesson. You know, just just be serious. So uh, he hooked it up and I, and I went up and I met prof and my whole life changed from the first day I saw him. So we can thank not only Prof, but we can thank Wynton Marsalis for getting you back on the trumpet because now you're this Grammy award-winning and acclaimed trumpeter that the world has come to enjoy and love. So when you think back at that at that time where, eh, I don't think I'm going to play trumpet anymore, to what you've accomplished now and think about Prof's connection with that, it, it must be really kind of just earth-shattering. Yeah, it's, it's very overwhelming. You know, when I came to Prof, I, I'll never forget what he said to me when he when he saw me play. He heard me play and he sat there for a minute and he said, you, you know, he goes, uh, son, do you love the trumpet? And I said, yes, sir. I love the trumpet. And he goes, well, you got some things to work on, but I think we can work it out. And I said, well, what about my amateur? He goes, what about your amateur? And he goes, as long as you put air through the horn, it doesn't matter where you put the mouthpiece. And I thought that was like a classic line, like, yes, like, wow. You know, like, man. So, 
you know, from my first lesson with him, you know, coming up from DC, it was, it's just, he was just something else. I mean, he was a, he was a source of knowledge and he had a particular way of teaching, um, which evolved as, as you get to know him, you know what I mean? And he gets more comfortable with you, but he's very, he, I mean, he's an encyclopedia of, of wisdom when it comes to trumpet, trumpet literature, um, and how to, how to, and pedagogy, you know, he's, he's, he's a master. It was back in 1979 that he accepted that position at Rutgers University after having a long career, not only as a trumpeter himself and a musician, but in education as well. And then eventually lands at Rutgers and that's where he spends the, you know, the rest of his time. Thank goodness for that. So many wonderful performers like yourself have come through his tutelage. When you think about, you mentioned a little bit why, why he was special, but also the fact that he played you know, at a high level, the, the the trumpet and what you specialize in had to be an advantage when it comes to the education side as well. Absolutely. You know, um, you know, back in the day, you know, people would say, you know, well, if you can't if you can't play teach and if you can't teach play <clears throat> and, and people like Prof broke that mold because the reason he taught so well is because he played so well and he'd figured out how to do so much on the trumpet, sometimes with guidance, you know, from like, like his mentor and teacher, Bud Herseth, who was principal of Chicago Symphony and Vincent Chikowitz. Um, He came from that school of playing and, and played in the Chicago Civic Orchestra. So he had that type of training. But, you know, when Prof would, would talk about sound with you, he could pick up the horn and the sound he would get from the horn would explain everything, the depth of sound that he had on the trumpet. And the thing that's amazing is that from when I met Prof in 1988 to when, you know, I graduated and even beyond graduating, I would still get lessons from him and coaching from him and with him losing teeth and, and getting, you know, you know, false teeth or implants through all that, he was still able to play the trumpet through his principles and fundamentals. You know, he, he was living testament of like, if you work on these fundamentals, they will follow you the rest of your life. And and he was a living testament to that. Speaking of legacy, you've continued his legacy of being a great player and an educator. You're the director of jazz studies and the chair of instrumental studies at Temple University, founder and band leader, of course, of the Terrell Stanford Quintet, managing and artistic director of the Jazz Orchestra of Philadelphia. So you've You've learned so much from him. You've carried not only the playing, but the educational side. You're giving back now as well. Yeah. You know, and that's, that's something we would talk about in our lessons. You know, um, when he would explain a concept to me, he would explain why it works, why it doesn't work, how he came about to find it and how it works for him. And then he would ask me, if it doesn't work for you, tell me it why it doesn't work. And we'll figure out a way to make it work. So to me, that's like just that in itself is like the fundamentals of being an educator. You know, I walk into my trumpet lessons and I hear a student and, you know, I, I, you know, I can't teach one student like I teach another. Everybody has different needs. And every time I teach him, I swear for the past, I've been at Temple 26 years. I always refer back to prof, always refer, you know, there's so much. And, and just the other day I was looking through his syllabus, you know, he told me when I, when I was going to go into teaching, he goes, here's my syllabus, you know, do what you may with it, you know. Um, and I said, wow, Prof, that's really kind. And then 
he told me, he goes, if you want to succeed in education, you need to do this, 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 and this. He gave me like five pointers. I wrote them down. I followed them, like he said. And, you know, at the, at the now I'm an endowed chair, you know, everything I, everything is accredited to prof, you know, even for me to get promotion and, and to be, you know, tenured, it's, it's, it's all prof. He prepared everything for me. Can you give us at least two of those? Sure. Five? So one of the things is that as soon as, you know, um, as soon as I got the position from day one, he says, every activity you do, find a box and put a program in that box. And I was like, why? He goes, just do it, you know? So everything I did, every recital I would do, every concert I would do, everything I would do, I would put in the box. And then he said, you know, um, if you have any questions about anything when it comes to teaching, don't figure it out on your own. Find a source. So when I was, I was, I remember I said uh, I was, going to be, you know, when I started at Temple, there's a lot of classes I hadn't taught. And so Prof was like, why don't you reach out to people that you admire in the field and get their opinion as well as mine? So when I started at Temple, of course, I got my directions from Prof, but I called Jimmy Heath and I spoke to him. I called David Baker and I spoke to him. And then I came back to Prof and said, here's the information they gave me about how I can teach these classes. And that was his thing. As you continue, if you have a question and you don't know it, reach out to someone else. And so that's helped me like beyond belief. You know, if I'm in a studio in, in a situation with a trumpet student, you know, now, you know, I can reach out to John Faddis or I can reach out, you know, to, to, to Winton or I can reach out to someone and ask the question, hey, I have a situation here that I'm I'm dumbfounded on. Can you help me? Instead of, you know, making something up and, you know, because of, of, of my insecurity, you know, it, it, it does better for me. So those are just two things. Find a resource. Don't be ashamed to call out and get help. And then save every drop of, of uh, literature you can when it comes to concerts or, and recitals. And the two thing, the way the two things have played out is, one, by me calling all these people, the people are like, wow, Terrell's really serious about teaching. And people continue to send me materials and resources that they come up with that they find. So I, I just put it in my file and I thank them for it. And then, you know, by me saving my programs and all that, um, when I went up for, when I went up for tenure, I got a note from the president and the note from the president of Temple University said, bravo, sir. This is an outstanding tenure package. If more faculty had been conscious of saving every program, and organizing it in a way to present as you did, the tenure process would be easy. And I called Prof. I said, Prof, like it, it's amazing, you know, like he had it figured out. Great advice from yeah. uh, a great individual. Now, if you want to know all about the Temple Connections, you can check out Nicole Sweeney's interview that she did uh, earlier this year with Terrell. So make sure you check that out for, for more information about his Philadelphia connections and, and how that has all worked out. Now the Rutgers Jazz Ensemble, when you're a guest artist and you're working with students and you're working with putting together a program, uh, how does that work? Um, well, you know, I've known Conrad for years and um, he told me, he goes, you know, Terrell, I want you to do the Prof Memorial concert, which was an honor to me. I haven't, played at Rutgers since I graduated. And, and you know, I graduated 
as a, with a classical degree. I didn't graduate with a jazz degree. So, you know, I, I never, what's interesting in honor, uh, you know, I never got to play in any jazz groups at Rutgers University. I got to play in the classical groups, but never a jazz group. Um, so I thought about Conrad, I thought about Prof, um, and I thought about the students, you know, what'll be fun to play. He said, you know, send me about five songs. So um, I picked, you know, I picked a Michael Brecker song, African Skies, mainly because, you know, there's there's a McCoy-Tyner connection. McCoy played on that, you know, there's Philly connection. And then I, there's another song we're going to do that I wrote uh, called Bounced. And I wrote that at the time that, you know, I'd graduated from Rutgers and things in my life and career were picking up and, and um, I was still hanging out with Prof. And, you know, so this was one of the songs I had written during that period. And another song is, Hey, It's Me You're Talking To. And it's a Victor Lewis composition. You can check out uh, Gary Walker's New Day, New Play, because back in August, at the end of August, you played the music from Terrell Stafford's latest album. So you can check that out as well. Congratulations on that. And the Rutgers Jazz Ensemble Prof Fielder Memorial Concert is taking place Friday, October 27th at 7.30 at the New Brunswick Performing Arts Center. And it is in honor of the legacy of Professor William Fielder in their annual memorial concert. And the guest artist has been our guest today, the incredible Terrell Stafford. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Doug. I appreciate you. You can see my entire interview with Terrell Stafford on the WBGO Facebook page. Thanks for listening to the WBGO Journal. I'm Doug Doyle. Join us next Saturday morning at 5.30 for another edition of the award-winning WBGO Journal. In the meantime, stay tuned to the world's greatest jazz and blues station, WBGO and WBGO.org.